0: you've tuned in to the School of Ministry podcast. Paul is your Bible teacher today. If you have questions you would like addressed, let us know. Maybe you have a need in your life and want to know how the Bible gives answers that apply to us today, feel free to contact us. Now enjoy the lesson. Well, it was in Ur of the Chaldees that that walk of faith began for Abraham and he exhibited his faith in God because God's righteousness had been imputed on him in Genesis chapter 22. And maybe let's, let's just go there. If you will, we'll look and then we'll get back to James too. But in, in Genesis 22, this is a wonderful passage. And this is what James refers to. James refers to the offering of Isaac. And that's what we find in Genesis 22. And it came to pass after these things, this is verse 1, that God tested Abraham and said to Abraham, and he said, here am I. Then he said, take your son, your only son Isaac. Now we remember something about Abraham, that Abraham had been given a promise that he was going to be the father of, of a great nation, whose number of children would be like the sand of the sea. And we know Abraham failed he went into adultery with Hagar the handmaid and Ishmael the Arab nation has continued to be a thorn in the side of the Jews even to this very day but God makes it very clear then he said take your son your only son Isaac whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So now think about what's going on. God's made him this promise, this covenant promise. Now Isaac is somewhere between 10 and 15 years old. Abraham has been waiting 40 to 50 years to see God Grant that promise that he had promised him that I'm going to make your seed like the stars of the sky and the sands of the sea. And there's one son, one child. I'll make of your loins a great nation. Whomever blesses them will be blessed, and whoever curses them will be cursed. And Abraham for years has been believing this. He's no daughter. He has but one son. And even then in his old age, at a 100 years old, So for years and years, and now God's given him a a son at the age of 100, and now he's 110, 115. And he's looking back and regarding the promise of God and believing the promise of God. And God tells him, take your son to Mount Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering. Look at verse 3 of 22, Genesis 22. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God told him. Let's stop right there. That says a mouthful. Because right there, God is saying, I've given you the promised son, the son whom you love, your only son. And what does he say? Go kill him. Now, that kind of goes against everything we know about God. God doesn't ask for human offerings, human sacrifice. God is a a God who keeps his, his word, his covenant, his agreements. God is faithful. And what does Abraham do? He gets up and he does not argue with God. He does not come back and say, wait a minute, that flies in the face of everything I know about you, God. No, he obeys. He doesn't ask a question. He says, all right, God. That's what we'll do. Get up early. He got up early to be about what God had told him to do. And then, verse 4, And then on the third day Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkeys, and the lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. Abraham believed God. He believed We're going to come back because this is the son of promise. This is the promise that God has made. So even though he's saying, I'm going to go offer him on the altar, I wonder here, and this is a little her theology, I wonder if... He did not believe that God was just going to raise him from the dead, the first resurrection that the Bible would have ever spoken of. I really believe that because that's what Hebrews tells us about Abraham, that he knew that God could raise up that son even from the dead. You see, so verse six, so Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on isaac his son and he took the fire in his hand and the knife and the two of them went together but isaac spoke to abraham his father and said my father and he said here i am my son then he said look the fire and the wood but where is the lamb for a burnt offering and abraham said my son god will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering so the two of them went off together now imagine Abraham knows. God says, kill your son, and God knows. He knows that God's true. God's faithful. God's going to somehow just take care of this. And what happens? Well, you know the story. Verse 9, Then they came to the place to which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Doesn't tell us if Isaac puts up a struggle or if Isaac just obeys his father. We don't know. I just wonder how he would have felt that, wait a minute, you're going to tie me up? You're going to put me on the altar? And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Now understand, at the end of this chapter, Abraham never goes home. He sends Isaac home. Abraham stays in Beersheba. Here's a little her theology. I learned this from the rabbis. Abraham didn't want to face Sarah when Isaac told, do you know what daddy did? (laughs) You know what dad did to me? He was going to kill me. And Abraham doesn't go home until after Sarah's dead. You can study that for yourself and see. But can you imagine? Yeah, I don't know if I'd want to face Mama. I don't know if I'd want to face Mama after I had done that. But he trusts God! He still trusts God! But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham! And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him for I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me abraham believed god and it was accounted to him for righteousness and how was that shown it was shown because he did it he acted on it he bound isaac he did everything that god had said and he believed that god could have raised him up from the dead could have resurrected that child because god was a god who promised and he told him this is going to be the promised son Now, Abraham was not a perfect man by no means. Remember when he and Sarah went off, and Sarah was very attractive. So he lies, and he says, Sarah, get in on this lie with me. Tell him, you know, I'm your brother. I don't want anything to happen to me. So he's not a perfect man. He had gone off with Hagar. He's not a perfect man. The Bible doesn't say that he is a perfect man, but he is a man who lived by faith in many times, but he failed sometimes. Why did he believe that God would raise him from the dead? Because he believed in the character of God. Sometimes he stumbled, but in the important things, that was a testimony to others. He showed, he showed that he trusted and he believed God, and he knew that God could do what only God could do. Well, that's what Paul had been saying. Yes, he was justified by grace through faith. It's recorded in, Je- in Genesis 15. And James is saying, yes, he was justified before men in Genesis 22. And he puts some 40 years later. He's saying, men will see that. It's interesting because the term justified, it's in the Greek term of James chapter 2. And maybe let's just go back to James. In James chapter 2, the word justified has two general meanings. It means, in one sense, when it says in verse 21, he was justified by works, the word justified could, number one, mean to acquit or to treat as righteous, but it can also mean, the second meaning is, it might mean to vindicate, to show, to demonstrate righteousness. I think that's interesting. Because definition number one is what Paul is using to the Romans. He is saying he was acquitted, he was treated, described as righteous. James is using definition number two. He was vindicated or shown and he demonstrated the righteousness of God when he acted in willingness to sacrifice his son. You see the difference? So there is no difference between what Paul is saying and what James is saying, but they're talking to two different groups, two different audiences. James is telling these saved people that you've got to live it. You have to examine. You have to be showing it. People have to see the reality of God in your life. You have to be trusting God. And the end of verse 22, and it says... And by works, faith was made perfect, or was brought to its goal is the idea, brought to its end, brought to its fullness. That's the idea of being made perfect. It's brought to completion. It isn't that salvation was imperfect, that works had to be added. No, works were not a part of the salvation, but we are saved unto good works. Isn't that what Paul later tells those in Galatia and tells those in Rome? You are saved by grace, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, unto good works. You're saved by grace through faith. So man is redeemed. The pulsing of God's life is in him. And Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. The reality was shown in his life. Well, then the scripture says, the word fulfilled. Because it was counted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Let me just deal with that. Verse 23, the scripture was fulfilled, which said Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him. That's not a term of prophecy, but it is simply a term that means in its very broad possibilities that God has brought it to fruition. God has brought it forth. He brought it out so we could all understand. And that's why he's saying it was accounted unto him. But now I also I want us to think about very quickly, he was called the friend of God because nowhere else in this does it talk about Abraham in Genesis, that he was ever called the friend of God, but that's found in Second Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 7, and then again in Isaiah 41 and verse 8. In Chronicles 20 and 7, it says Abraham, thy friend, speaking of God, and in Isaiah 41, 8, it says God speaks and says, Abraham, my friend. The Septuagint says that translation says Abraham, whom I love. What a dignity! What an honor, what a joy, because his faith was manifest. It was proven to be real. He entered into that wonderful arena of people who are called a friend of God. Your faith is real. You can be a friend of God by walking by faith. Jesus put it this way, you are my friends if you do whatsoever I've commanded you. That's John 15, but brother Jackie brought it out very well. Who are my brothers and my sisters, but they who do the will of God. The principle is very simple. It's justified, made manifest by that justification. We see that one becomes an intimate friend with God. And how do you know you're a true Christian? You look at their life. You look at what they say. He's a friend of God. How do you know I can tell you by the way he acts. I can tell you by the way that he lives. I can tell you by the trust that they have. And you know, there's one other illustration. I'm going to have to look at this quickly. Likewise was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. What a powerful contrast. You have Abraham a man, Rahab a woman. Abraham was a Jew. Rahab was a Gentile. Abraham was a good man. Rahab was a harlot, an evil woman. Abraham was a noble Chaldean before that, and Rahab was a degraded Canaanite. Abraham was a great leader, Rahab just a common follower. Abraham was at the top of the social order, Rahab at the bottom. You could not find a greater contrast, could you? Abraham believed God from an early age. Rahab was a total pagan. Abraham had received direct revelation from God. Rahab had only heard indirect revelation of what God had done for Israel when he brought them out of Egypt, what he had done with the kings of Sihon and Og. And when you read in Hebrews 11, the list of the heroes of faith, Abraham is there. Rahab is there. When you go to Matthew chapter 1, Abraham is there in the lineage of Jesus Christ, and Rahab is there in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Believe it or not, Messiah comes through the loins of Rahab the heart. Verse 25 says, likewise, or in like manner, and I love those words, it's that knockout punch, was not Rahab the harlot justified by works? When she received the messengers, sent them out another way. She knew that their God, the God of Israel, was the true God. She knew that these messengers, she hid them. Now, she was running an inn. How do I say this nicely? This was an inn where men could come and be with women. The messengers, of course, had not gone for that purpose. In Joshua chapter 2, you can see a couple of things about that. But in that land... The wonderful people of God had come in mass, and they understood that God had given them this land, and she hides the spies. Now, the army, whoever the guards were, come looking for those spies, and she lies. Let's consider that. That woman believed, and she was justified by God. She believed that God was the true God. She believed that God was the God of miracles who had led these people out of Egypt. She believed that God was the God of, that had given them power to overcome these Amorite kings. She believed all that she knew about God, the true God, and it was imputed to her for righteousness. And at that point, she's justified by faith. That faith is now made manifest. She hides the messengers. It could have meant her life. Now, she told a lie. And remember, she's a pagan. She's a brand new believer. God is not saying, or it's okay to lie. He's never saying that. But she's now beginning to work out. What, it ha- what would have happened had she trusted God to say, yeah, they're, they're gone, you know, I've, I hid them, they've, took, they've taken off. We don't know. But she reverted to her old lifestyle. She reverted. And I'm sure that in time come that she learned more about trusting God. She learned how to walk by faith. But she's brand new in her relationship to God. We don't justify the lie she told. The time would come when she would understand the value that God gives on the truth. She had succumbed to the prevailing immorality and trying to get out and trying to do it the only way that she was acquainted with, the way that she knew, the only opportunity that she had was to show that she believed God and she hid the messengers. She let them escape. These two illustrations, what kind of works really vindicate true salvation? Just going to church, just reading your Bible, doesn't say that. It says, Abraham was justified when he built the altar and he worshiped God. That didn't, not when he was vindicated. It's not when he was proven righteous. It didn't say that when Rahab got into Israel and she worshiped the true God, that that's when she was made righteous. No. Jesus put it this way. If you're not willing to take up your cross, remember the cross was the emblem of death, a painful death, excruciating death. And follow me. You are not worthy to be my disciple. That's the issue. That's the issue that we're faced with today. Don't tell me that a person has real faith because they go to a Bible study, but show me their life that's out there on a day-by-day basis. Show me that their life. Living for Christ is fine, but when it begins to cost us our family, living for Christ when it begins to cost us our job or whatever it might be, and we begin then to trust the Lord, that's when we see that life is real. That's when we see that something is very, very different. You see, the message today, the picking up our cross, of serving Christ, a life where we just believe God and we put that into action, that's not popular of this day and age, but it's still the message of the Scripture. We pick up our cross, we follow Him, whatever He would have you to do. Maybe in your life you just need the place to serve God. Maybe in your life you just want to serve Him greater. Maybe there's something else but just between you and just between the Lord. We invite you to come. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the message. We trust you have been encouraged, challenged, or generally built up spiritually. If this lesson has sparked questions or perhaps you have questions of a different topic, let us know. Our information is given on the website or can reach us at sclofministry at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.